We are right in the middle of a three-part teaching series as a church simply called Search Me, O God. And last weekend, as we kicked off this series, we, we looked at a phrase that is shared in the Old Testament, and then it's quoted in the New Testament. And this is a phrase in Scripture. It's a command. It's pretty weighty. It's pretty heavy. In some ways, this phrase, it's overwhelming. And after living this week just with this phrase, I would have to say that today for me, it's even more overwhelming than it's ever been. I believe this is a phrase in Scripture that for a lot of Christians, a lot of Jesus followers, when they read it, they don't even know how to respond to it or to process it. So they just kind of blow right by it. And here's the phrase. It's in the book of 1 Peter. You shall be holy, for I am holy. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Let's leave that up there. For just a second, if I'm honest with you today, there was a lot of my life, and when I would read that phrase or when I would see those words, here's what would surface in my heart Travis, try harder. Travis, perform better. And I would have thoughts like, yeah, that, that standard may be realistic for the guys who live in a monastery 52 weeks a year. But that's not realistic for me. And I would live with such a sense of frustration because I really didn't understand what those words actually mean. Maybe, maybe today you can relate with that. One of the things that we want to do in this series is we want to bring some clarity. We want to bring some clarity to the truth that God wants us to understand as it relates to that phrase so we can better pursue God and His holiness. So here's a statement that we've established in this series that I believe is very, very clarifying. Holiness is not a demand of God to be achieved. Holiness is the invitation of God to be enjoyed. I want us to read that out loud off the screen this morning on three. One, two, three. Holiness is not a demand of God to be achieved. Holiness is the invitation of God to be enjoyed. That is so, so freeing. To understand this morning that God is not just looking at us today saying, show me what you got. He's not boastfully looking at us today saying, do you measure up? But as he lays out this standard of holiness, he's inviting us to a level of intimacy with him in which our life actually reflects his life. And his holiness. That is such a freeing principle to understand today. 
you shall be holy for I am holy, is not a demand. It's a gracious invitation. This month as a church, as we start a brand new year, we've set aside the month of January to calibrate our hearts around our pursuit of God and the reality that we can reflect His holiness. And we've asked our entire church to embrace a three-part challenge. One part of that challenge is a daily challenge. We're challenging you that every day as you spend time with God to read through a daily devotional that we're posting on social media and on our website so that we're navigating through the same principles together as a church. We're praying the same things together as a church. But there's also a weekly challenge. It's the second part. And the weekly challenge is to make a priority of gathering here this whole month on Sundays as we talk through this series and then taking what we talk about in this series to your small group. And in community, wrestling with the question, how does this apply to me? And then the third part of this challenge is a monthly challenge. The last Sunday and Monday of this month, we're going to have a celebration, a two-day worship experience called Awaken. And we're going to celebrate all that God has done in us this month. And we're going to look forward to a new year and pray for God to move in our fellowship in 2014. And as we began this series last week, Vance answered the question, what is holiness, with two different answers. And as we start today, just so it's fresh in our heart and in our mind, I want to remind you of what we looked at last weekend. Two ways he answered the question, what is holiness? Here is the first answer. Holy is who we are. And this is speaking specifically to this reality of positional holiness. You see, 60 times in the New Testament, you and I as believers are referred to as saints, which literally means holy ones. You see, through Christ, we are given new life. And we stand today before God as loved, free, redeemed children of the King because of who He is, not because of who we are. So much so that as a believer, I will never be more holy or righteous before God than I am right now. That's my position before God. Holy is who we are, but secondly... The second answer to that question is this. Holy is what we are becoming. You see, there's not only the positional aspect of holiness. There's also the practical aspect of holiness. Yes, I've been made positionally holy before God. But he also wants that to be manifest out in my day-to-day life. God desires every aspect of my life to reflect him. And here's the connection between these two. What is true about me positionally, God is working out in my life practically. What is true about me positionally, I am holy. God is fleshing out in my life practically. So that at my job, 
at my home, in my hobbies, in my attitudes, in my thoughts, in my responses, I am reflecting his holiness. So hopefully for you today, that brings you some clarity as we talk about this big idea of the holiness of God. Well, if you have a Bible this morning, would you turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 139. We're going to look at two verses of scripture that we read last week, and we've actually sang a song built around these verses. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. If you don't have a Bible this morning, we're going to put these on the screen, and we would love for you to read along with us. That's what the scripture says. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me. And know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. What a powerful passage of scripture from the book of Psalms. Here's the big question I want us to to wrestle with today. If you and I honestly have a heart cry for holiness, if we yearn for it, if that's what we desire, to be children of God who reflect the holiness of God in our day-to-day life, what does that look like? How does that practically flesh out in the life of a believer? Well, David, in these verses, he uses three very personal phrases. And I believe those three personal phrases give us some clarity into his heart, which was a heart that yearned for holiness and what it looks like. So here's the first heart cry for holiness that's in this text. There is a willingness... To be totally honest before God. If you and I yearn for holiness, if there's a a cry in our heart to be holy as he is holy and to have that reflect in our lives, here's what that's going to translate to. There is going to be a willingness for you and I to be totally honest before God. The first personal phrase he uses there is the phrase, search me. The word search is a Hebrew word that means to explore, to investigate, means to dig. It's a picture of archaeology. And really, in essence, what he's saying through this phrase is he's looking up to heaven and saying, Lord, would you examine me and tell me about me? Lord, would you... From your standpoint, from your perspective, would you tell me what I'm like? That's heavy. And there's really two sides to this principle. If you and I are going to be honest before God, there's two sides. Here's the first side. I must be totally honest with God. It's okay to say, God, I'm tired. 
I'm struggling. I'm confused. I'm hurt. I'm angry. I'm overwhelmed. I'm selfish. I'm discouraged. Listen, I'm just asking you. Don't spend another year pretending that everything's okay when everything's not okay. If we want holiness, we must first be honest with God. And listen, two things. He's big enough to handle it. All right? But secondly, he knows anyway. You're not fooling anybody. Here's what I believe. There are some people in the room right now. You've been carrying some baggage for a long time that you were never created to carry. Your father is saying, roll it onto me. Bring it to me. Lay it before me and live in dependence on my strength, my grace, and my life. But we got to get there. One piece of being honest before God is that you and I are honest with him. But here's the second side. I must accept God's total honesty with me. It's great that you can be honest with God today and say, Lord, I'm hurt, I'm broken, I'm struggling, I'm mad. But you need to know when he searches your heart, he's going to speak back. And we have to be at a place where we embrace his honesty with us. I must be willing to listen to what God says about me. On Christmas Day, my daughter Scarlett, uh, she woke up in the afternoon and her temperature was high. And we were, you know, taking her temp and it was 102, 100, 101, 102, just kind of bouncing around. And that next day, her and my wife were supposed to fly to Tennessee to see my family. And so we thought, you know, just, just to be safe, we, we should probably take her to the urgent care. And so around 6 o'clock or so, we go to the urgent care and just to get things checked out. And here was my expectation. The doctor was going to say, well, you know, she's got a little head cold. Um, maybe she ate something wrong. So we see the doctor, and the doctor says, um, I got some news for you. After examining your daughter... She has strep throat. She has an ear infection. There's no way I'm going to let her fly tomorrow. And here's a list of about seven medications you need to go buy and figure out how to get in her body. And I'm thinking, well, that's inconvenient. <laughs> that wasn't what you were supposed to say. It wasn't what I wanted to hear. But it's what I needed to hear if I wanted my daughter to be healthy again. When we hear God's honesty with us, there's going to be some stuff we don't want to hear. But it's what we need to hear if we have a genuine yearning for holiness in our heart and a longing to reflect his life in us. Let me ask you a question. How do you respond 
when God exposes that which is unhealthy in your life. I'm sitting in the doctor's office and I'm mad at the doctor. Like, you don't understand, I got a plan. We spent some money. This is what it's supposed to look like. And now you're telling me that can't happen because there's a sickness in my daughter? And the answer was yes. As we hear from God when he searches our heart, there's going to be some frustration because there's going to be some changes that have to be made. Here's what Clyde said in his book, Because We Love Him. When we suddenly comprehend the holiness of God, we are immediately filled with dread and horror over personal sin. Only when we see the holiness of God can we see the blackness of our own sin. I hope this week you take these principles and you spend some time and you're honest before God. But secondly, I hope you take some time just to be quiet and listen and you, you hear what God has to say to you. And when he says whatever he's going to say into your heart, you may hear him say, listen, you're addicted or you're lazy or you're bitter or you're hurt. There were some things this week in my life that as I just sat before the Lord and said, Lord, search me, speak into my heart. There were some things that were really uncomfortable. But let me remind you about a few things as it relates to the voice of God. Everything God says into your life, he says from a heart of love. He's already proven that. He sent his son to die on a cross while we were still sinners. He has already proven his unbelievably passionate love for you. He's already shown that. So everything God says into our life now, even if it's tough, he says from a heart of love, but also he says from the context of eternity. It's very easy when God speaks some stuff into our heart that's not you know, the best or the, the easiest for us to say, well, you don't understand. No, listen. Everything he says, he says from a heart of love. And everything he says, he says from the context of eternity. So know that about the voice of God. When you say, Lord, I'm willing to be totally honest before you. And you share with him, and he speaks into your heart. He's saying it with love, and he's saying it from the context of eternity. That's the first piece. If we have a heart cry for holiness, one of the ways that's going to practically flesh out is there will be a willingness for us to be totally honest before God. Here is a second heart cry. Here's what it looks like. There is an inviting of whatever it takes to be right with God. If holiness is really what we want, practically fleshed out in our life, there will be an inviting of whatever it takes to be right with God. The second personal phrase he uses, he first says, search me. Then he says, try me. In essence, he's saying to God, Lord, don't just show me what's wrong. Make it right before you. He is inviting God's purification process into his life. A lot of people, 
are familiar with the way that refiners go about purifying and refining gold. I read about it a little bit this week. It's a a fascinating process. The refiner is so passionate and so meticulous in terms of heating up the gold as hot as it needs to be so that all the impurities are burned up. And refiners tell us, here's how they know that the gold's been purified. When they can look down in it and see their reflection. That's this principle. It's saying to God, Lord, would you do whatever it takes to purify me, to refine me, that you may be able to look down on my life and see you. Now that's heavy for us because our impurities are dark and they're deep. The book of 1 John chapter 2 um, John's talking about just the sinful world we live in and our sinful nature. Here's what he says in 1 John 2. Practically, everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, and wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. Now if you'll notice, I've underlined a couple phrases there. Wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, and wanting to appear important. For most of us, every single aspect of sin we're involved in falls under one of those three umbrellas. We do what we do that's sinful because we want our own way, we want everything for ourselves, and we want to appear important. Listen, that's not going to change. But that should heighten for us our sensitivity to the sin that is in our lives. There's another uh, powerful verse of scripture in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Here's what it says. God speaking, he says, If my people, meaning the church, the children of God, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven And will forgive their sins and restore their land. Now he says some beautiful things in there. He says he'll hear us from heaven. He'll forgive and he'll restore. But he says one of the things that has to take place is that his his children must turn from their wicked ways. So he's not talking about unbelievers here. He's talking about his people. He's saying, listen, there are some consequences for sin in the life of a believer. Very quickly, I want to highlight a few of them. Because as we process through this month of what it means to pursue holiness and to reflect the holiness of God, we must have a heightened understanding of the consequences of sin in the life of a child of God. One of the consequences of sin is that sin grieves God. We talk about sin a lot, and we talk about how it affects us. But first and foremost, sin is rebellion 
against a holy God. Charles Ryrie said this, When we contemplate sins of unbelievers, it does not seem so difficult to comprehend the enormity of sin. For we know the punishment will be eternal separation from God. But somehow when we consider sins in believers, we lighten their seriousness. But make no mistake about it, all sin grieves God. There's a struggle. Paul talked about the struggle. He said, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, that's what I do. There's this ongoing tension in the life of a believer that, yes, we've been given grace, but we are also called to a pursuit of holiness. Here's the point. If we truly believe what the Bible says about sin, we will not continue to be insensitive to the known sin in our lives. Another translation of Psalm 139, it it speaks towards what David said. And here's, here's the NLT translation. He said, point out anything in me that offends you. One of the consequences of sin is that it grieves God. It offends our Father. Here's a second consequence. Not only does sin grieve God, but sin hurts us. Ultimately, sin does not bring anything good into our lives. Listen, it's not just a bad habit. It's not something no one should see us do. And it's not just a character flaw. Sin affects the most important thing in our life. That being our fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Now once again, sin can never eliminate our relationship with God. That is eternally secure. We are in Christ and he is in us. But sin in the life of a believer does interrupt our fellowship with our heavenly father. And if we desire to reflect the holiness of God, we must take the consequences of sin serious. Henry Blackaby said, You cannot continue to practice sin and simultaneously experience spiritual renewal. That's a challenging word. You cannot continue to practice sin and simultaneously experience spiritual renewal. I don't know about you, but I spend so much time and energy trying to hide my sin as if somehow that makes it less evil. And it affects my fellowship with God less and less if nobody knows about it. The hidden sins in our lives are not us getting away with something. They are us missing someone. You have them and I have them. But the hidden sins in our lives are not us just getting away with something, some pet project. They are us missing someone, and his name is Jesus. And he's inviting us into a life of fullness, wholeness, in which we reflect his very life in us. We've been deceived into thinking that as long as no one knows about our sin, we're okay. But hear me today. 
all sin hurts us. Sin grieves God. Sin hurts us. Lastly, sin hurts those around us. When we choose to continue to live in sin, not only does it grieve God and hurt us, but also it impacts our families, our friends, and all those we influence. One of the hardest conversations that I have to have, unfortunately, quite a bit as a pastor is to sit in a room with a mom or a dad or a child or a close friend and tell them about the sin that has happened in a relationship in their life and how that sin has to affect them. Families have been wrecked. Marriages have been destroyed because people choose to love their sin more than to love their Heavenly Father. Sin grieves God. It hurts us. And it hurts those around us. Pastor Brian gave me a devotional this week uh, written by a man named Robert Munger. And in the devotional, he, he does a comparison of God having full control and full access to everything in our lives. With giving God full access to every room in our house. It's really interesting. And he talks about this man who invited Jesus to examine his living room to examine his dining room, to examine his bedroom and his office and his rec room. But then he identifies in this devotional a hidden closet. And the man just has to process through a minute because he doesn't want to give anyone access or control of this closet because it's the thing that's for him. It's the fleshly desire. It's the addiction. It's the hidden closet that he doesn't want anyone to have access to and he doesn't want to change. Let me ask you something. As you think about your heart, as you think about your life, are there some hidden closets that you don't want to submit to Christ today? Are there some areas in your life that you are not welcoming God's refining process into your life? What are the hidden closets in my life? What are the things in my life that I'm afraid to ask God to conform to his image? One of the byproducts, if we have a genuine heart cry for holiness, is we are going to welcome whatever it takes for us to be right with God. Here's the third heart cry in this text. There is a complete submission to the way of God. He says, search me. Try me. His last phrase, lead me. He ends this passage by asking God to lead him the way of life. Now notice he doesn't just say, God, get me out of trouble and then I'll take over again. He says, Lord, I want you to lead me into the everlasting way. We see this phrasing all throughout the scripture. It's called the way of life. 
called the everlasting way. It's called God's way. But it shows us there are two different ways we can choose to approach life. There is the way that leads to life. And there is the way that leads to destruction. This way of destruction comes natural for us. We're born following this way of destruction. But the way of destruction is opposed to the things of God. And the psalmist ends this passage before God, not only saying, Lord, search me. Lord, I want to be honest with you about everything in my life. And I want you to be honest with me. Not only saying, Lord, would you do whatever it takes to make me right with you again. I'm inviting your refining process into my life. But Lord, would you show me how to live? God, lead me in the way of everlasting life. What a beautiful picture for us today of a man who desired holiness. My prayer is that for us as a church, we would desire the same thing. That we would come to a place of brokenness and humility where you can say, open and honest before your father today. Search me. Try me. And lead me. Last week, we recommended a resource to you by John Eldridge called The Utter Relief of Holiness. We sold about 100 copies last week. This book is unbelievable. Uh, We've got some more available today if you'd like one. But before we have some time to respond, um, I want to read for you just a, a brief section that I read this week that was incredibly convicting. Here's what he says. The process of transformation can be a painful one. I don't know why we ignore this, why we don't talk about it more often. Some of those things within us that need transformation require a deep cut of the surgeon's knife. And he typically doesn't offer anesthetics beforehand. He says holiness will cost you. It will certainly cost you the expense of laziness. There's no more coasting through life. You have to be aware now of where your heart is going on any given day. What you're allowing in and where your heart is wandering off to. That will cost you. In the sense that there's no more slacking off anymore. No more assuming your personality and your motives don't need to be looked at. There are higher costs. You will have to give up precious idols. And that is almost always painful. You'll be giving up your false comforters. You will experience a higher degree of loneliness. Because there are very few people who seem to want this. And so you will feel odd. You'll wonder why people aren't wrestling with the same things you're wrestling with. You'll wonder why they don't talk about the same things you talk about. Or want to pray about the same things that seem so obvious and urgent to you. You won't feel comfortable seeing the same movies your friends do. Or listening to the same music or reading the same books. And so you'll experience the loneliness that Jesus lived with. But he felt it was worth it. 
That's not a demand to be achieved. It's an invitation to be enjoyed. 